Good morning, everyone. It is game day in Kansas City. Are y'all ready? So I was, I was walking down our nursery hall. I always go say hey to the kids and the leaders um, before I come in to preach. And um, I stopped at the, at the kindergarten room. It's the first one kind of in the hallway. And I walked in and, and I said, go Chiefs. And there were no kids in there wearing Chiefs gear. There were a couple little kids, two twins, who were wearing Packers gear. And I was like... Packers. I don't wear Packers. I said, today's about the Chiefs. And this little kindergartner looks at me and he starts taunting me. He starts chanting, let's go Browns. Let's go Browns. And he just kept doing it. So I walked away down the hallway. If you've never walked, I could hear him all the way down the hallway. I went all the way down the baby room and back and he was still chanting it when I got back. So I poked my head in the room and I said, what's wrong with that kid? Um, and one of our workers said, his dad played for the Browns. I said, oh, that's Pat's kid. So Pat, like, we'll protect him at church, but he should not do that at school. So, like, I'm just warning you, man, like, don't do that at school. We got to work that out of him today. So game day, we're so glad you're here. Week two of uh, Vision Month at Journey. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 6. For those of you who have ever sat in that seven laps venue, you might hear a little bit more of that story today, how we got that name and why we're kind of leaning into that concept. Vision Month, Joshua chapter 6. Here's the premise of this month. Here's, here's what we're trying to do this month before we launch into fall ministry. We want to remind ourselves who we've been called to be in Jesus and what we've been called to do by Jesus. We want to remind ourselves that as followers of Jesus, we've been called to become like Jesus, and we've been called to get on his mission. That is what Jesus is calling us to do. Jesus' followers are saved, and they are called. You heard last week, Christian talked about in Ephesians chapter 2, this great kind of salvation theological text. For it's by grace that you've been saved. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have been saved through faith. It's not from yourself, it's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been saved and we have been called. That's what Jesus' followers are. We are a people on a mission. So we are talking about that mission this month at Journey, and here are the goals of today's message. Number one, to see the process that Jesus takes us through to make us useful to the kingdom. All of us has things in our life that do not make us useful for the kingdom. And all of us have things in our life that do make us useful for the kingdom. At least that's what Paul told Timothy. He said, in a large house, there are articles not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for special purposes. Some are for common use. Those who cleanse themselves from the latter will be instruments for special purposes, made holy, useful to the master, prepared to do any good work. Paul says, your life is just like your house. You got stuff in your life that isn't any good to you. You got stuff in your life that is really valuable to you. And as a Jesus father, or if you can find the things in your life that are not valuable to Jesus, and if you're willing to get rid of those, and if you'll find the things in your life that are valuable to Jesus, and you're willing to share those with Jesus, man, you'll make a huge difference in the world. So we want to see the process that Jesus' followers take to get ready to serve Jesus. And then we want to, as a church, we want to aspire to be a church that exists for God and for others. Here's the catch-22 of goal number two. If there was not a church like this and people like this in our past, we would not be here because we were not a part of the first church. Some church thought it was important that we be reached. Some Christians thought it was important that other people be reached for Jesus. Yet at the exact same time, some of us fear if we become this church, then we may get left behind relationally in a church that is growing quickly. That, my friends, is called spiritual warfare. 
knowing how God has worked in your past, but being afraid to duplicate that in your future because you think God won't take care of you, that, that voice is not the voice of the Holy Spirit, which is why we are getting ready to next Sunday enter into a season of 21 days of prayer that's all about praying through spiritual warfare, learning about spiritual warfare, learning to deepen our walk spiritually. I want to challenge you. Carve out your calendar. Whatever you've got going on between 6 a.m. and 7 a.m. for the next 21 days starting September 19th, Saturday morning from 9 to 10 a.m., I want to encourage you either on your way to work, sitting at your office desk, getting your kids ready for school or in person if you can, come learn to pray through armoring up, getting ready to not only battle spiritual warfare but to win. I'm recommending a book to our church for this 21 days of prayer this year called The Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis. I've bought it for all of our elders. I've bought it for all of our ministry team staff, the guys in my accountability group. I'll be giving it to them in the next few weeks. This is an, as only C.S. Lewis could do, an unbelievable take on a master demon in hell named Screwtape, writing letters to the demonic forces in the world, telling them how to confuse and discourage Christians. It's one of the most vivid pictures of spiritual warfare anywhere. It's a short little book. I want to encourage you, get on Amazon, order it right now, have it shipped to your house. Read this the three weeks that we walk through armoring up in spiritual warfare warfare because we want to win spiritually. We want to be who God has called us to be without listening to the whisper of the enemy in our ear telling us if we do that, then God won't take care of us anymore. So it's important to armor up and to win spiritually. Before we ever dig into our Bible study time at our church, we always pray and ask God to just get our hearts ready to receive. So as we do that, let's bow our heads quickly, take a deep breath. Let's settle our hearts and minds into this moment. Two prayers. A quick prayer of confession. Just ask God if there's anything on your heart or mind that would keep you from receiving. Ask God to clear the clutter and then ask him to speak to you. God, we confess that we need your clarity because life is filled with clutter. So clear out our hearts and our minds so we can receive today and then speak to our hearts. We'll be listening. Show us how to be useful to you and let us be a church that exists for you and for others. That's our prayer. And God, we ask it today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. So now before we dig into Joshua chapter 6, I want to show you just one verse. Say, why are we studying the Old Testament scripture? Why are we studying an event that happened 3,500 years ago to learn something about like this fall? Um, I once had a mentor tell me, Christian, it's always good to learn from your mistakes, but it's better to learn from someone else's um, because life is just easier that way. That is why we study the Old Testament, so we can learn from someone else's mistakes. Paul told the church in Corinth these things. He talked about Old Testament scripture. All these things happen to them as examples, so you could go back and study them. Like everything in the Old Testament scripture is just a spiritual example of what you do go through, what you will go through, what you have gone through. So like the Old Testament exists to be an example to us, to show us how to live our faith right now in real time. So we are studying today this seven-lap story of Joshua in the Israelites, because there are some examples that we should follow as we get ready to hopefully see God do something special in our midst. Joshua chapter 6, we'll start in verse 1, go through verse 21, says this, Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one went in. Let me give you just a little backdrop in case you know maybe the big stories of Scripture, but not the little stories. 120 years before this event in Joshua chapter 6, a baby 
was born named Moses. His mom and dad put him in a basket and kind of floated him down the river. He was adopted by the Pharaoh, the kind of leader of Egypt at that time, the leader of the Middle Eastern world at the time. Forty years after that, he would be living in Pharaoh's household as an adopted son, but he would realize I'm a Hebrew person and my Hebrew people are slaves. He would have a heart to rescue them, but in trying to do, do that one at a time, he would end up committing murder and burying the body. He would run into the desert. For 40 years, he would spend time alone in the desert before God spoke to him in a burning bush and said, your heart is right, your methods are wrong, go back. I do want you to deliver my people. And there would be 10 plagues on Egypt. The Israelites would be driven out. And for another 40 years, not just Moses, but now all the Israelites would wander around in the desert before they were to go finally take the promised land. That happens in Joshua chapter 6. This is the first city. 120 years after a deliverer was born, the city was finally in the land ready to be conquered. And it was shut up tight because they knew the Israelites were coming. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went in, no one went out. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I've directed Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. That's the ark of the covenant. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the, the army advance. March around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets... Before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time, the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, don't give a war cry, don't raise your voices, don't say a word until the day I tell you, then shout. So the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling at once. Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord, blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them. The rear got followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to their camp. They did this for six days on the seventh day. They got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times, seven laps in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, For the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab, the prostitute, and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies that we sent in. But keep away from the devoted things so you won't bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you'll make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold, all the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord, must go to his treasury. When the trumpet sounded... The army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord, and they destroyed it with the sword, every living thing in it, men and women, young and old, cattle and sheep and donkeys. So you say, Christian, this event happened 3,500 years ago, and we believe it did. As a matter of fact, Jericho has been discovered in archaeology to be the oldest city in the world that was protected by a wall, and they can indeed find the time when the wall collapsed, not outwards, but inwards in the layers of history around this ancient city of Jericho. You say, okay, it's a great historical story. What does it have to do with us? Well, remember what Paul taught us. Everything in the Old Testament happened as a spiritual example. 
for those of us trying to live out our faith right now, so, so we would be warned for what not to do, and so we would be trained with what to do. The setting of Joshua chapter 6 is very similar to the exact same place of an event that happened 650 years earlier when God spoke to a man named Abram and said, listen, your family's going to become a nation, but that nation will be enslaved for 400 years, but you're going to come back And when you come back, this is going to be all your city. This is going to be all your land because I want the world to know who I am and I'm going to start by telling this place. God was going to do something miraculous in the land of Israel through this nation called the Israelites and now it was getting ready to happen. And the key question that connects us today to this story 3,500 years ago is this. What does it look like to stand on the front side of a move of God, hoping that he'll move, but not being completely sure, feeling like you've been called to go forward, but not knowing what that will look like. What does it feel like to stand on the front side of a move of God, believing that God is going to move, and how do you get ready for that? That's the goal of this message. What are the lessons we learn about getting ready for God to do something brand new with us for our land? Not just with us for us, but with us for our city and the people in our city who do not know about the God of heaven yet. What are these lessons? We're going to see three of them. Lesson number one is going to be remember. Everybody say remember. So 650 years before Joshua chapter 6, Abram was told your people are going to come back here. 100 years later, 550 years before Joshua chapter 6, his grandson named Jacob kind of had a terminator moment. Like he'd been living in the land. He thought he could never leave. And God's like, you can leave. I'll bring you back. And he told the people like, I'll be back. Like, and, and, and like he went down to Egypt And 50 years later, his son Joseph would die, and Joseph would become a prophet. Joseph would say, "Um, when you go back, take me with you. We're going back. So there was this theme running through this family that became a nation that we're going back, and now they are back. And in Joshua chapter 4, they finally cross the river, and they are home for the first time in 650 years. And here's the story. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, they're home. The Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you're going to stay tonight to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off from before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were completely cut off. These stones will, to be, a, will be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. These, this pile of rocks will help people remember who I am, what I've done, why I did it, and what their part to play is. As we prepare for God to move through our lives in our city, I think it's important that we remember three things that this pile of rocks shows us. I'll throw them all up on the screen and then we'll talk through them. We got to remember first that God is going to allow life to take us places we would never go. God is going to allow life to take us to places we would never choose to go on our own. God is going to get us through those times and God's promises and presence are never going to leave us. You see, the story of these stones is all of our stories. 
Because these stones came from a place in the life of Israel that they never intended to go, planned to go, wanted to go, thought they could go. And once they got there, they, they absolutely believed they could never get out of there. Every time they looked at these pile of stones, they said, these stones came from the bottom of that river. If you would have seen the Jordan River in the days of Joshua, it probably looked like the Missouri River. It was a massive body of water that would have been at points 80 feet deep. And these pile of stones came from the dead center of that river with the best scuba equipment in the world. These stones could not have been lifted from that place and put into that pile. And some of us have found ourselves in the exact same spot. We have no idea how we ended up at the bottom of the riverbed, a place that we never wanted to go a place that we never thought we could go, a place that we thought if we got to, we could certainly never get out of. We've been dealing with a rash in our church lately of women who have been having stillborn babies or miscarriages, like a half dozen, it seems like, in the past 10 or 12 weeks. And I promise you, with everything in me, that not one of those mothers ever thought they would end up in that riverbed. We've been walking through, like you, this season of COVID for 18 months. People in hospitals, out of hospitals, in, pos- in hospitals, and then in funeral homes. We've, we've been living through business owners who launched a business with great excitement who had to shut down that business in the midst of this crisis and chaos. We've been living with kids who probably the only thing that gave them hope was being in a fantastic school district like the school district that we're in who could help them with their special needs who who then made them do school at home for a year and mom and dad are ready to pull their hair out and kids are ready to pull their hair out and everyone's taking a massive step backwards like this has been the year where we've looked and thought how in the world did we end up on the base of the riverbed why did god allow me to get here Why did God make me go here? How did I end up here? Folks, this is all of our stories. We will at some point wake up or go to bed thinking, how in the world did I end up in this place in my life? I promise you, Israel never thought before or after as they looked at the Jordan River, I'd like to go down to the very bottom of that and see what's on the bottom. Yet here they were. And when they got there, God said, look, you're here. You're here but you're still alive and I'm going to get you through. And as proof, I want you to take these stones with you and I want you to pile them up on the other side because this thing that I've done in your life, I'm going to use it and I need you to understand that no matter what you go through for the rest of your life, you're going to realize you've passed through worse and I got you through it. Or somebody else passed through worse and I got them through that. And you're not even going to be able to explain a lot of what happened because people won't believe it. Yet they see it. Where'd that pile of stones come from? Bottom of the Jordan River. I don't believe that. I know, and I can't explain it to you, yet there are the stones. Our lives are intended to be things that cannot be understood, that must be seen to be believed. But when we make it through the things we've come to that we thought would bury us, people look and they say, I don't understand how that happened, but clearly it's there. They may not believe you, but they'll see the stones of your life because God's presence and his promise will never leave you. His presence and his promise will never leave you, but when you don't feel the presence, you better learn the promise. You say, Christian, why do you say that? Look at this verse. Joshua said, tell your kids that the flow of the Jordan was cut off from before the ark 
of the covenant. The ark was the symbolic presence of God in the middle of the people of Israel, but what the ark had inside of it was the covenant, the promises of God. So God said, not only was I here, but I promised you that I would be there. And you know, one of the problems that a lot of us have in our faith walk, when we don't feel God's presence, we don't know his promises. Because what Christians need to begin to do is they need to start telling their I feel what they know. So I feel this way, but I know this. I know God has said he'll never leave me or forsake me. So I feel that he has left me or forsaken me in this moment, but I know that he is not. We need to start telling our I feel what I know. Amen? Amen. And like we cannot do that if we are not people who study the book. If we're not people who learn scripture, if we're not people who memorize scripture, if we're not people meeting in small groups who, who remind each other when, we, when what we feel is wrong, that what we know is right. The ark was the symbol of the presence of God, but the covenant inside was filled with the promises of God. So God said, when you do not feel, you can know. When you do not see, you can believe. We said last week, we live by faith and not sight, amen? So I don't see the presence of God, but I know because I believe, because I've been promised that he is with me right now. So this is our story. We've been through places in life that we would have never chosen to go, we would never go back to. But somehow we made it out of all of them because God was with us. And even though right now we don't feel like we have made it out, we believe we will because God has promised us. This is our story. And we must remember our story if we are going to reach a new land with the things that God is giving us. If we're going to reach our city with the things of God, that God has given us, we must remember our stories. In John chapter 9, Jesus meets a man that was blind from birth and he heals him and he's able to see, but he literally knows nothing about Jesus. So they call him up before the rulers of the government to basically say, you need to curse Jesus because like, he's on our bad list. And, he's like, uh, and they start asking him all these questions about Jesus. Well, where was he born? Well, who's his parents? Well, and they wanted him basically to say, until you can tell us everything about Jesus, you can't tell us anything about Jesus. And the guy said, that's not my story. My story is not that I know all the answers. As a matter of fact, I don't know a lot. But here's what I do know. I was blind and now I see. See, we're living, we're living in a world spiritually that makes it sound like if you don't know all the answers spiritually, you don't know any answers spiritually. Don't tell your story. Because if you tell your story, people are going to ask you questions and the answer is going to be, I don't know, and it's going to make you look foolish. No, no, no. Listen, we need to be willing to say and say quickly, I don't know all the answers, but I do know my story. And here's what has happened. And I don't know how you get stones out of the bottom of that riverbed to here, but here I am. I don't know how I got from there to here, but I know that God has been with me. I know when I couldn't feel him with me, his promises told me that he was with me. He allowed me to go through that. He's now got me through that. Here's who I am today, and and this is my story, and I'm sticking to it. We got to remember our story because we've said in the world of post-Christian culture that we're getting ready to move into, really all we've got is our story. And our story becomes a sign for people who need to see Jesus. Just like the stones were a sign, our lives have to be a sign of what Jesus does for people. We most remember that for us, the most impactful part of the Jesus story is who he is and what he has done in us. I can't answer every Jesus question that there is, but I can tell you who I was 
and who I am now because he came to the bottom of the riverbed when I was at my lowest and he helped me get out of there. We must remember. We also, number two, must get ready. Turn to somebody and say, get ready. Must get ready. This is a story about getting ready to be used the way that God wants you to be used. Israel's story in Joshua 5 is about removing things that separated them from the glory of God. The entire chapter is about circumcision and sandals. And at this point, all the guys are like, God can have my sandals. Like, like <laughs> totally okay with giving God my shoes at this point, if that's what Joshua chapter 5 is about. As Joshua is preparing himself to go to war, God tells him to get all his soldiers ready. And then he's out walking around one night. And as he's walking around, he runs into... What he, he doesn't know at the time, the angel of the Lord, it looks like a, a general in some commanding army. He's like, are you for us? Are you for them? And the guy's like, no, I'm for God. And he said, you can be for God too. And he told Joshua to take off his sandals. Joshua chapter 5, verse 15. The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you are standing is holy. So Joshua did it. Question, why Joshua need to take his sandals off? American answer? Like, they're they're probably dirty. Like, you know, you don't wear dirty shoes. And like, we haven't really thought that much about it. Why Joshua? Why Moses? Why do they have to take their shoes off? Our shoes are dirty and God's offended at dirt. It's not the story I read about Jesus coming to live with all us dirty people and dirty dwellings with dirty shoes. Why Joshua take off his sandals? We have to understand how God sees us and what God wants for us. See, Joshua's sandals were not an offense to God, but God's ground was an opportunity for Joshua. I mean, God had been around Joshua his whole life. But now Joshua had the uniqueness of getting ready to step into and experience in his person the presence of his God. And God says, there's just a very small layer of leather connecting you from the presence of the God of the universe. You might want to take those off. Not because I'm offended that you have them on, but because I want you to experience more of me than you've ever experienced before and you have the opportunity to have the presence of God in your life. See, the opportunity that God gave to Joshua, you have the ability, if you'll take your shoes off, to connect with my presence has been given to every follower of Jesus. As a matter of fact, the generation of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 6 was told the exact same thing about the opportunities they had to connect to God as the generation of the church that you and I sit in. In Deuteronomy chapter 7 and in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told about the people God has offered an opportunity to live in his presence. In Deuteronomy 7, God said, you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasure, possession. I'm inviting you in. In 1 Peter 2, 9, Peter says, of all people who ever choose to follow Jesus, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. There's no question that this Jewish teacher is teaching Deuteronomy 7 to followers of Jesus. Holy, holy, chosen, chosen, treasure possession. In the Greek, almost the exact same, special possession. You are invited to come close to the presence of God if you will take Take your sandals off. You see, so often we see God asking us to remove the old parts of our life as a punishment. It's not a punishment, it's an opportunity. God says, I see you like you are, I love you like you are, but I love you too much to leave you like you are. Take off your sandals. 
Because there's more to this life and there's more to this spirit and there's more to you if you will get in touch with me. So take off your sandals. The angel asked Joshua, take off your sandals. 1,500 years later, Jesus would ask his disciples, take off your sandals. And he would get down on his knee and he would wash their feet. And he would say, after this night, the presence of God that lived in the ground that Joshua and Moses walked on, the presence of God that connects to you and me is going to fall from heaven in Acts chapter 2 and you are going to experience the holiness of God but only if you keep your sandals off and keep things out of your life. See, for us to really be greatly used by God, we've got to be closely connected to God. And some of us desire to be greatly used by God, but we are not closely connected to God. We have less than an eighth of an inch of leather sandal separating us from the holiness of God in life. For some of you, it's this sin you've been nurturing through quarantine season. And every Sunday you sit in church and God says, this is the week to kind of put that behind you. And every week you re-engage in that. And God is saying, take off your sandals, not because the dirt on the bottom of your sandals bothers me, but because I have more for you. Some of you have just gotten really distracted in the last year and a half. Everything in your life competes with just doing something in rhythm like coming to church every Sunday. And God is saying, take off your sandals. There's just one little distraction in your life that's keeping you from connecting to my holiness. For those of you who've been living in spiritual distraction for a year and a half, I promise you, you can reset during 21 days of prayer, but only if you take your sandals off every morning and come stand in the presence of God. And let me speak to those who are watching online. Our 8 a.m. crowd has more people that watch online than any other crowd. I want to say to those of you who are healthy, and who are doing everything outside your house but coming back to church. It's time to come back to church. It's been long enough. Now, if you've got pre-existing conditions and you don't leave your house for anything, we're praying for you. Let us know what you need. But if you are just lazy and out of the habit of coming to church, it's time to get back to church. Amen? You know, like, like we got Christians who are so confused and discouraged about everything. And I think one of the primary reasons is because they're not resetting their heart every week. In Psalm 73, the psalmist is talking about trying to figure out life and how confused he was about life. He said, if I'd spoken out the things I was thinking, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand it, it troubled me till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. I had to get back into church. I had to get back into the word. I had to get back into the habit of worship. And when I recentered my life every seven days around Jesus, everything made a whole lot more sense. Amen. So listen, for those of you who are sick, we're praying for you. For those of you who are lazy, for those of you who haven't been to church for a year and a half, and you're going to watch this service online and then go tailgate and go to the Chiefs game, get back to church. Amen? I may be slightly passionate about this. After a year and a half, we need to get ready to get going. We need to get ready to get going. We need to get ready to get engaged. We need to be in church. We need to be in groups. We need to be serving. We need to be growing. Enough of the when COVID's over. It may never be over. It's time to get ready to get going again so we can get ready to get close to Jesus. And then number three, I'm going to be tired by the end of the 11 a.m. We need to release selfish expectations. We need to release selfish expectations. There is some gold in this story of Joshua and Jericho. In Joshua chapter 6, 17 and 19, he said, The city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord, all the silver and gold, 
and, and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord, and they've got to go into the temple. Now, into the treasury. Interesting fact. Of the 31 cities that Joshua and the Israelites conquered, this is the only one where they weren't allowed to have anything. The next 30, God said, take whatever you want. 31 cities conquered by Joshua and the Israelites. This is the only one where God said, it's mine. The other 30, he said, have at it. It's all yours. The question we have to ask is, why? What is the purpose? The answer is in the text. Why, why does God get all the first city? The city and all that's in it are to be devoted to the Lord. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord. They must go into his treasury. See, the Israelites had this tabernacle and this system of tabernacle worship that for 40 years had been languishing in the desert without any economy to give the tabernacle what it needed to worship. Now they were going to go into the land. The Israelites would set up their tabernacle and the land would know about their God through the ministry of the tabernacle. And God said, fund the tabernacle and then take care of yourself. You say, why did God want him to fund the tabernacle first? Here's the answer. Because the purpose of the people of Israel and the land of Canaan was so that the glory of God could become the story of the world. Literally, it was not about Israel. It was about Israel's God. And, Israel's, and, and God told Israel, if you go in and you cannot set up the tabernacle and you cannot worship, people are going to know about you but not about me. And the, and the point is me. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, God actually told Moses, tell the people not to mistake that any of this is about them. Because it's not about them, it's about me because I'm about the world. So I'm setting them up so they can tell the world who I am. So let the people of Israel know this is not about them unless they're about me. So they go into the city and God said the first city is going to be taken to fund the tabernacle and then the tabernacle will be the sign to the world that this is God's place. But the entire world is invited to know that God. Israel would be the crossroads of the ancient world. You could not go to Africa, from Africa to Asia, or Asia to Africa, or Europe to Africa, or Africa to Europe. The whole populated world had to pass through Israel. And God said, when they pass through, I need them to know who I am. So before you set up your own life, set up your worship life, make sure your life is lived for the glory of God because the glory of God will help me be the story of the world. There was a man in the camp named Achan who was not able to let God go first. And he went into the city and we learned that he stole the devoted things. And when they asked him, why did you steal the devoted things? I saw them and I wanted them and I took them. But if you look closely, he was basically saying, I was just worried that maybe once we got through this city, nobody would take care of me and my family. I was just worried if I didn't take care of me, nobody would take care of me. And there are a lot of you today that are not putting God first because you're still first in your life. And for you and your family, you're thinking, if I don't take care of me, no one will take care of me. And Jesus is saying, seek first the kingdom and I'll take care of you. And you're saying, I just cannot bet on that because what if you're wrong? What if he's right? You say, but I've come to places I never wanted to go. You'll come through those places because of Jesus. And then that will be your story to the world that his presence was always with you or his promises kept you going even when you couldn't feel him. That is the story of the world. Jesus will, Jesus will take care of you if you will make your life about him because his mission remains the same as the mission given to the Israelites. In Acts 1, the mission of Jesus' followers is this. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus said, my people are going to get my power for my mission, but your life has to be about me. 
Maybe you could say it this way. Jesus made his life about serving God and you so you could make your life about serving God and others. Say, who takes care of me? Jesus. Jesus made his life about serving his God and serving you so that you could make your life about serving your God and serving others. That's the way the kingdom of God works. And what God wants to do in Kansas City today is the same thing God wanted to do in Israel 3,500 years ago. The purpose of the people of God in Kansas City is so the glory of God can become the story of our city. That has always been our church's drive and belief. It has actually been the goal of this church. This week, 10 years ago, we had a launch team of about 100 people praying that God would bring people from our city who were not yet a part of our church. It was the goal. The goal of launching a church was that people who were not yet here would come and find out about Jesus. And we knew that if that didn't happen, we probably failed on our mission. Five years ago, when we opened this building, people who were not yet a part of our church were the goal. We built a building and opened a church with the goal of reaching people who did not know Jesus yet so they could come in and be a part of the kingdom and live their life for other people. And now we're sitting at 10 years and we're trying to figure out as a congregation, I promise you these conversations are happening. We're trying to figure out if people who are not yet a part of our church are still the goal or if they're the competition or if they're a threat. Like, do we still want them? And the answer is, if we're Jesus followers on Jesus' mission, yes. Jesus made his life about his God and us so we could make our lives about our God and them. Yes, it's still the mission. The purpose of your life, if you're a Jesus follower, the purpose of our church is that the glory of God might become the story of our city. But only if we invite people to be a part of it by leaning into Jesus, sharing our story, staying on mission. If we were to wrap up the message, I think we would say three things. Remember, our story is that Jesus brought us through. Say, brought us through what? Everything. Everything. Everything and the next things, you could say that. Our story is that Jesus brought us through with his presence when we could feel him deeply, with his promises when we couldn't feel him at all. Get ready because the power of God comes to those who remain close to God. But you've got to lean into the things of God and the people of God and release. Jesus served God in you so that you could serve God and others. I said last week at the beginning of this month, if you're not dead, God is not done with your story. But if we're still here, God is not done with our story as a church and our congregation. That's our story. What in Christian terms we call our testimony. Just a second, Jay and the band are going to come out and we're going to close with a song called My Testimony that'll have those words in it. If we're not dead, God's not done. And Journey, you need to realize until God takes us, takes us up to heaven, the only reason God would leave us here is to help people who don't know him, know him. So as we pray, I want you to focus on this. If you're not dead, God's not done. And every Sunday we can still come to church. We're on mission for Jesus. What sandal do you need to take off? What story do you need to remember? Who do you need to lean into? Let's pray as we consider those things together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. Jesus, help our story individually and as a church be for your glory. Jesus, help our church be on your mission. If you're here today, and you're a follower of Jesus, what do you need to get ready to get going? What sandals do you need to take off to accept God's invitation to live in his presence? If you're aware of those, just right now, confess them and say, God, 
I need to get moving. I need to get ready to get going. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, what you need to understand is he loves you and invites you into his presence. He lived for you. He died on the cross so your sin could be forgiven, so you could be close to him and right with God. And if you've never accepted Jesus' invitation to live in his presence, to have him be your savior and your leader, to accept his call to live on mission, you can do that today. Just pray from your heart to heaven something like this, Jesus, I need you. You don't have to pray out loud from your hearts to heaven. Just say, Jesus, I need you. Forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of my past. Heal me of my hurts. Lead me into my future. Today I surrender my life to your leadership. I ask for your salvation and I commit to follow you. God, I pray that our story will bring you glory. We've been places we never thought we would go. We've come through things we know we couldn't come through on our own because the presence of God was with us or the promises of God sustained us. Let that be our story and let us be willing to share it with the world. Let us press in to be close to you. And God, let us release this thought that it's all about us. You made your life about God and us so we could make our lives about God and others. Let the mission of our church impact our city deeply until the glory of God is the story of our city. We love you and we ask these things in Jesus' name and everyone said, amen.